This talk was recorded at the 2019 Actuarial Society of South Africa Convention at the Sandton Convention Centre. For more information on the Actuarial Society, visit actuarialsociety.org.za. So guys, thank you for coming. My name is Roy. Um, a little bit about me. I grew up in Johannesburg. White male, these things are important. Why? Because the narrative within my family was that there's no opportunity for white men, right? And that was something that was consistently told to me by my family, reinforced by my friends, their communities. And I remember being an incredibly anxious white guy, 23 years old, desperately applying for overseas universities, right? How do I get out of here? Because there's no opportunity for me, right? And it took divine intervention, stars aligning, I don't really know why, to get me to the point where I'm looking at a textbook and it's saying, Hey Roy, equality is not what you think. Affirmative action is in fact not apartheid in reverse. It is not reverse discrimination. It's about redress. And guess what? You do have an opportunity. You have this huge amount of opportunity, right? Given the understanding of privilege and context. But this opportunity looks a little bit different and it comes with a responsibility. You ready to do it? And I said, okay, let's do it. Why? Because there is something that we are missing in the South African society at the moment, and it's reflective conversations. Opportunities for me to look at what I have and say, oh, I'm actually incredibly privileged, but what does that mean? What can I do now? So I went into schools, into uh, private schools, schools that I could connect with, and we went into their life orientations lesson, and uh, I told them that we were going to talk about human rights and constitutional law. And then I'd say, okay, thank you so much, teacher. Should they'd leave us. And then I'd close, lock the door and say, guys, our parents are lying to us. It's not the truth, right? We need to think critically about some of these inherited beliefs that exist within our space. And it's continued all the way up into this day. The spinning wheel with my business partner, Dominic, here to talk about this here today. So thank you for showing up. Um, I know it's the session after lunch but we're going to give all of our energy to you and please note that this isn't necessarily us talking at you but we are going to ask you guys to contribute um, and to answer and to engage with us as much as we can because we are dying to talk about some of these things yeah. and this is the opportunity obviously we don't expect people to be bearing their whole souls but just you being present remaining present asking a question engaging with us is going to go a long way to enrich this conversation so thank you so much for coming absolutely my full names are Huizio Nemodimo Dominic Haldepe. Huizio Nemodimo being a Zona name, which means only God knows. That's what it means. I'm not trying to be funny. Uh, Dominic being born in a Catholic family, or well, the Catholics, you know how they do, they're like sprinkle, sprinkle. We that be Dominic. That's where the second name came from. Interestingly, when I found out what the name uh, Dominic means, it means belonging to God. So when you look at the Zona name, Huizio Nemodimo, only God knows, and one who belongs to God, it's always quite fascinating sometimes how names align within particular context. Um, so for those that would want to pronounce Huizion, you absolutely can. So I was thinking about it yesterday. So if you want to pronounce Huizion, think of the Afrikaans, Hoi, Zion, done. You know how to pronounce it. Ohrui, without the R, Huizion, <laughs> and you know how to pronounce it. Um, really what has fascinated me within this work is, and I'm loving that we're engaging with people who are actuaries, yes? So unlike people like Donald Trump, you guys know that there is something, things such as truth and fact and numbers. Yeah. But what's fascinating about the human experience is that when it comes to those things that are very humane to us and go to the core and beyond the conceptual, all of a sudden numbers don't make, hmm. are not of any relevance. Okay? What do I mean by this? I go to one of the private schools here in Johannesburg. 
We're engaging with like 15 to 18 year olds. I asked them the question, who of you of your parents told that you must get your degree, get a job, uh, get your degree rather, get educated, get your degree, and then get out of South Africa because there's no opportunity for you, okay? Of the hands that get raised, it's only the white kids mm. within that audience. Uh, then say, please keep your hands remaining in the air if you've actually applied for the job and all those hands go down. But these young people, 2019 here in South Africa, are very clear. They need to get educated, get their paper, get out the country because there's no opportunity for them. Right? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, if you look at the employment equity stats of all the young people that were employed in this country in the past two years, if you take the total population of young people being employed for the very first time, 52% of that population was white even though they're 5.6% of the economically active population. But still it stands. Get your degree. Get out of South Africa because there's an opportunity for you. Mm. If you look at all the promotions that happened in this country in the past two years, 64% of those promotions were of white South Africans. And yet still, the narrative persists. Get your education. Get your degree. Leave the country because there's an opportunity for you. And so what we've realized as an organization is that this topic around inclusion and transformation, really we need to go beyond the conceptual. All right? So first of all, we know that you're all smart. Cool. Get that out the way. We're not here to engage you intellectually. We won't be throwing stats at you, we won't be throwing facts at you because we understand that information does not change human behavior. It doesn't. There's a young man that I met in Durban, 23 years old. We have a session quite similar to this, he then comes to me afterwards. And says, Dominic, there's something that I want you to help with that I'm trying to reconcile. Right? I've grown up in the South African education system. Since the age of nine, we've been taught about HIV and AIDS. I know how AIDS is contracted. I know how AIDS is prevented. I know how AIDS is managed. We've been taught this since the age of nine. However, a couple of months ago, a colleague of mine comes out as HIV positive, And for some reason or another, whenever he makes me a cup of tea or coffee, I cannot physically bring myself to drink it. Okay? All that education, all that information. And so essentially that difficulty, or rather where the unlock comes in this discussion is actually going beyond the conceptual. Because mm. we can throw stats at you the whole day. But the place at which the change, the place at which we begin to reflect and begin to challenge ourselves to think in different ways is at the space at which we begin to actually engage with our own discomfort where this is concerned. And hopefully that's what we'll do with each other in this hour. Should we jump in? All right. So before we kick off, we just want to show you a short video of some of the work that we do in the organizations in our space. Without the word, or purely self-image and motivation. 
In South Africa, we don't really have an issue with diversity, right? And I think that's something that we need to understand, is that when we look around this room, when we look within our organizations, diversity is not the concern, right? Too often, I think, we see leadership and they say, cool, we have black faces, brown faces, gay faces, fantastic hijab, fantastic, we're done now. And we kind of walk out. And then we look at our engagement scores and we're totally devastated. Trust is so low in this organization, we don't know why. Because it's not enough to purely put diversity in a space and expect magic to happen, right? Yeah. We have to really go into that inclusivity space, in that inclusion space, which is what we're here to chat about today. Absolutely. Now, Dom and I could speak about this for hours, and there's so many components, but we're going to zoom in and focus on this inclusion one, all right? This here, this slide, this one, Changing World, is really the starting point. Yes. Before you carry on, yeah. uh, we're in the graveyard shift. Yeah. And because we're in the graveyard shift, we'll need to do crazy things with you guys <laughs> that other groups didn't do. It's you know? true. We might need to do like, you know, jams and so forth, not just kidding. But when I say, okay, okay, you'll say, all right, all right. When I say, all right, all right, you'll say, okay, okay. Okay, okay? All right, all right. And that Oof, sounds that like a, a that awful. shift line. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me nervous for this so session. We'll try it once more. It's just, a matter, it's, it's just a tool for us to check in with you. Okay, okay? All right, all right. Let's get to the changing world. Great, thank you. <laughs> so, over the past 12 months, I think that, 24 months really, over the past two years, there's been this mm, fuel, fueled conversation around the fact that our world is somehow changing, right? It's changing at this huge rate. We need to be ready. Uh, technology, fourth industrial revolution, management, everything's kind of going crazy. I think even this conference, there have been many of the talks that have been based on that premise that our world is changing and we need to be ready. We were asked to speak at a school conference last year. It was called Raising Boys and Girls with the Skill Set for a Changing World. And they said, Roy, Dom, come speak. And we said, okay, cool, we'd love to. And they said, oh, we'd also like you to open up and you know, lead us in the keynote. Fantastic. And we said, okay, guys, let's be honest, right? This is the changing world. And the parents and the teachers and the leaders are like, yep, this is it. See, all of these kids, these millennials and Gen Z, they're all on their phone. They're so disconnected. They're so terrifying. What are they? What are they? So scared. And we said, okay, well, if this is the changing world, how do we explain this? Now everyone is like, oh, oh, okay, maybe this was a mistake. And then we said, no, 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 don't stress. Maybe this is the changing world. Betty out of the kitchen, into the workforce, in a cute pantsuit, right? And then we said, okay, well, this is the changing world. Then how do we explain this? Last year, checkers, gifts to wow mom, happy Mother's Day, 2018. Can't you make this stuff up? <laughs> <laughs> And here's the thing that we'd like to challenge you all as we challenged everyone then and we'll continue to challenge everyone when we do this work. That for us, our world is in fact not changing as quickly or as rapidly as we think it is. In fact, it is staying very much the same, but we've come very good and sophisticated at representing an idea or a narrative or the veneer, the facade, the external <coughs> depiction of change. But behind the scenes, it's still very much the same thing. And why we have to challenge you to not buy into the narrative of change, because if you're going to buy into the narrative, the veneer of change, two things happen. I step back and say, sure, thank goodness you guys are doing the change. I support you, like, share, donate. Cool, so happy, go do it. I don't have the time, but I love the fact that you are. Okay, quite removed. Or that change is terrifying. I need to now, in my space, create as much safety I can to prevent that change coming into my space. Both of them are reactive. Both of them take a step back. 
But if we can actually say, hold on a second, nothing's changing but for a veneer, we, it empowers us to say, okay, now how are we going to drive the change? What, what change do we want to see? Now we're negotiating the change. Our world is not changing. It is becoming more sophisticated at representing the idea, the narrative, and the veneer of change. But there are these social movements that we see that give us this illusion of change. So marriage equality in the States, right? We think it's this amazing or this devastating movement of change. Depends on which side of the ideological spectrum. We don't need to discuss that today. Hashtag me too. This incredible or devastating movement of change. Pretoria girls, this incredible, devastating movement of change. But again, these are not these incredible or devastating movements of change. All these movements are are to get people who've been historically excluded, people on the outskirts, to the starting point that other people have been at for centuries. That marriage equality is not this incredible or devastating movement of change. It's to get LGBT people to point zero, the starting point that straight people have been at for years. Marry the person that you love. Simple. Hashtag me too is not this incredible movement of change. It's just really to get women to point zero, the starting point that men have been at for centuries. Call out to perpetrator. Oh, guess what? Something actually happens. Someone listens. Then we look at um, Pretoria girls. It's not this incredible movement of change. It's just really to get young women of color in our schools to point zero, the starting point that our white girls have been at, and that is not to have their identity, not their style, their identity policed through policy. This just gets us to the starting point. Right? So it's not the sweeping movement of change, it's just kind of getting us here. And now we have to ask ourselves, brown faces, black faces, gay faces, all in the organization is not the sweeping movement of change. That's not transformation. That's equalization. That's the starting point. Now what are we going to do? How do we imagine an organization beyond zero? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Right? How, how do we do it? How do we build it? That's what we need to challenge you here today. Yeah. Because the thing that we need to think about is that this young woman of color protesting for a hair policy is a distraction for her. She should be focusing on her maths final, not protesting a hair policy. And think about the distractions in our organization. We want talent to be thriving, but how many distractions do we have? Do I speak English in a certain way? Is it cool that I'm pregnant? Is there going to be a all of these things are distractions for your talent in order to achieve their best and to get their best math marks so they can excel. An organization beyond zero is going to be one that is going to ask the tough questions. What does it feel like to be an employee within the space? Yeah. Right? So we're thinking about organizations beyond zero. We're not here to talk about the numbers. What are our numbers? Are we good? Black people, how many do we have? Good? All right, no, no. Oh, our numbers aren't good. Oh, okay, let's chat about that at the next board meeting. You know, it's very late. HR only gets the last 45 minutes, the end of the board meeting, you know, because people aren't that important to us. But we'll say that talent is the most important thing to this business. We don't want to talk about the people things. No, we want to talk about our strategy. Oh, but our people are separate to the strategy. This conversation is not separate to strategy. It's not separate to delivery. It is central to strategy, delivery, and operations, right? That's where we come at it. Not this nice, fluffy, touchy-feely thing, but the unlock for that space. 100%. Okay, okay. <laughs> right, all right. Try that again. I'm going to, like, annoy you so much if you're saying this <laughs> by the time that you leave. Okay, okay. All right, all right. This is the point at which we wanted to start engaging. What thoughts, what feelings come up for you when you see this image? So don't overthink it, just say whatever comes to your mind. What comes up for you when you see this? It's just a Google image search of diversity. 
Sorry? Joy. Joy. Yes. yes. What else? Unity. Unity. Yeah. Faith. <laughs> Who said Wait. faith? Yes. Uh huh. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Good. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. Any yeah. other thoughts? What comes up for you? Like, there are many people nodding. Like, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to say. She it. said it though. <laughs> she said it, not me. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts, reflections, feelings that come up when you see this image? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you can't decide: is it hot? Is it cold? Is it yes? That's uh -huh. so fantastic. <laughs> no. But someone once said, and I thought it was the best submission we've ever had. Why do only the white people have electronics? They said, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then we had to be like, good, yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But these are the images that we see when we think of diversity, yeah. And even like, you know, Simone, we are the world. Mm. Rainbow Nation, we are one. And these are beautiful things that we're wanting to aspire to. Okay. The reality for us as an organization, whenever we see these images, this is our response to it. Okay, ready for it? There we go. Because ladies and gentlemen, diversity is difficult mm. to get right. Okay. It's a beautiful thing once you've got it working, but it requires some deliberate work to get there. And the thing is, we need to actually start from the starting point of this is going to require work in order for us to get it right. Because when we acknowledge that it's going to require work, guess what? We are now actually prepared and positioned in such a way where we put in the necessary work in order to take us forward. All right? So whenever we do this work, executives will ask us, yeah, grand, you're talking about this diversity, but what's the business case for diversity? How will my business actually benefit by me being a diverse organization? And if you're looking for those answers, uh, public service announcement, uh, that bus has left. It's gone. You can Google right now, you can find your case studies, McKinsey, you can go to case studies or going all the way back to the 1980s if you're still wanting to be convinced why diversity is good for your business, that bus is gone. Okay? But you're smart, you can then Google it. Google will tell you, companies and so forth. But for us to just be thorough, I'll give you three points why it is that it matters for your organization. And these three points are as follows. The relationship between diversity and our performance in organizations exists. Fact. Representation in diversity and leadership roles is a great benefit for your business and contributes to your bottom line. Fact. There is a penalty for opting out whenever you do not have a diverse team. Fact. If you're doubting those things, ask Nike, ask Gucci, ask H &M. the other ones, H&M, Dove. They're very real <laughs> no, penalties. When organizations don't have the right kind of people around their tables in order to make decisions to enable us to go forward. Whenever we speak about this thing, I often wonder if people are able to make connections between the roles that you do, the professions that you're in, and how diversity can help unlock that. Okay? Let me give you a simple example. Are there any actuaries in the insurance space here in the room? A short-term insurance space? Short-term insurance space. Wonderful. So let's do a case study right now on how it is that we measure how we'll determine the premium of someone on a car. Yeah? Roy, when did you get your license? 18. At the age of 18. Okay, so you got your license at the age of 18. Why? Because I could get driving license before and I used my dad's yeah. car to learn. Wonderful. Got my license at the age of 23. When you got your license at the age of 18, were you insured under your parents' yeah. insurance as a co-driver? Mm -hmm. First time when I was 23, I got insurance. At the age of 18, when you got your insurance, which area did you live in? Morningside. Uh-huh. 
My first car insurance premium was more than the car that I actually bought. I was quoted 3,500 rand. When I began to think about it, I realized that we've set up the system to actually continue to disadvantage those people that come from previously disadvantaged backgrounds. But if you don't have that kind of thinking within your organizations, you think this diversity thing is just a nice to have. Whereas we've literally created a structure, ladies and gentlemen, where we lock out billions of friends because people don't fit into the small departments that we measure risk. Right? When we speak about diversity, there are three narratives that we've seen as an organization that really make this topic quite tough and challenging for people to engage in. Mm. One of these narratives is what we call my role. Okay? If you'll humor us for just for a couple of seconds, what does the white male body represent in South Africa? So if Roy is just walking in the streets of South Africa, what are the kinds of labels that he'd get? Rich. Rich, yeah. Privileged, yes. What? Leadership. Mm. Confident, Confident, yes. What else? Competent. Mm. Yeah. Hey? Old cocky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the, the punch choice was legit, <laughs> deliberate. What else? Arrogant. Mm. Put me inside an organization. What are some of the labels I'm going to get in the organization? Leadership material. Mm. Unwanted. Mm. Ooh, I like that. Good. Whether you know me or not is irrelevant. Whether that is me or not is irrelevant. That is how I'm always going to be seen first. We gave it away by them asking me some of the things, but I would say, do I have a car? Yes, who bought it? Your dad. Where do you live? Morningside. What school? I go to private school. What university? Your UCT. You know all of these things about me or think you know all these things about me without really fully understanding. Yes. Can I ask you? What does this body <laughs> represent? What does the black male body represent on the streets in South Africa? B.E. crime. Yeah. I love the realness coming from the, from the <laughs> left here. So we're talking poverty. poverty. Yeah. What else? Pardon? Transformation. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah. What else? Pardon? Fungibility. Guys, my private school education has failed me. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> what does that mean? Dispensable. Hmm. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Underqualified. Mm. Interesting. When we said BE, why did we say BE? What was it about Dominic that was BE esque? His skin, sure, absolutely. No not? His education? His age? Yeah? Yeah. People often say when Dom's speaking or when he's not speaking? <laughs> it's usually the qualify. When yeah. Dom opens his mouth or when he doesn't open his mouth? Or they say, when Dom's wearing this or he's in a tracksuit, right? And we hear, oh, coconut, B.E., tenderpreneur, and it's always related to what Dom is wearing. No one, when they're doing my role and what my body represents, talks about what I'm wearing or how I speak. Because for me, as a white South African, my skin, my body, represents trust and safety. I can wear whatever I want and speak however I I can butcher the Queen's English with a deep French accent, worse than any other black South African can. But my skin says, you can trust me, I'm safe, I'm educated, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. 
The black male body does not represent trust and safety. So black men know to use external markers, clothes, how we speak, as to say, you, you can trust me, I'm safe. I'm competent. I'm competent. Listen to how I speak. I must be educated. That inequality of experience, that difference of how the world is going to see us, how we're going to enter spaces, fundamentally changes not only how we navigate space, but how people are going to engage with us and interact with us. Fundamentally changes, right? But people, when they talk about my role, they say we don't want to talk about diversity and inclusion because it means I'm going to have to sit with the discomfort of what my body represents. We did a session at one of the law firms. Senior partner, tall Afrikaans guy, could put Afrikaans on this body and it's immediately racist, right? And, you know, he's sending the, the expectation. And he got really emotional. He says, you know what, guys? I'm trying to drive transformation legitimately in this space. But everyone just sees this white Afrikaans guy. Probably doesn't get it. Probably racist. And, you know, I just want to give up, he said. And we said, shame, my angel. I'm so sorry, you know. Sucks. But you're always going to be seen as that first. Yeah. You can't change what other people are going to see you as. What we can work on is your reaction. Because if you want people to see who you are, you need to lean in and show yourself. This role, what our bodies represent, all of us here, is not going to change in our lifetime. So we need to get comfortable with it and understand that's how we're always going to be seen first. And now how are we going to manage our reaction? How are we going to build relationships through it? Okay, yeah, some of these things might be me, but I'm more than that. How am I going to lean in rather than saying, well, if you're not going to see who I am, then I'm yes. just not going to. Right? This is one of the big stumbling blocks to having this conversation because there's a lot of shame and anxiety there. And we say, get over it. Let's talk. That's how I'm going to be seen. Fine. Yeah. Okay. And that's the first narrative. Yep. The second narrative that we're seeing, and it's not just in corporate South Africa, but it is especially in corporate South Africa, where there's this narrative of voicelessness. Okay? Mm -hmm. Where people are feeling voiceless, especially where this discussion is concerned. Mm -hmm. All right? So let's start off with white South Africans humor me for a while. Right? Why do white South Africans feel completely voiceless, especially where this discussion is concerned, if we're speaking about privilege, diversity, inclusion, transformation? Why do white South Africans feel completely voiceless where these things are concerned? Yeah. Sure. Uh-huh. So it's not your time to speak. Oh. Yeah. Give? Yeah. I want to hear it from a white person. Who's going to own that? <laughs> yeah. And what happens when you get called a racist? Besides the, I've got black friends comments, right? <laughs> Besi besides that, what have we seen as the evidence of what happens when somebody is labeled a racist? The evidence. What happens when you're labeled a racist? Penny Sparrow, so you can go to jail, absolutely, lose your yeah. job. All of these things, right, come into the equation. So white people, when it comes to these conversations, are like, uh -uh, this is about survival for me. I'm definitely not going to say anything. Are you crazy? It's way too scary. Mm -mm, I'll show up. But that's it. Yeah. Yes, sir. Could be a deliberate play. Ah. ah, interesting. 
but so I, outside of it being an intentional, deliberate play, let's give white people the benefit of the doubt at this one, right? And say so that it's not really that strategic, it's actually more biological. And by, so in terms of being strategic, it's actually biological, saying even if it is strategic, if I mess up, I'm, I'm, I'm done. It's too scary, it's too risky. Let's go with that for now, yeah. but we can chat about it. <laughs> we'll unpack that. Yeah. But let's come to the blank experience within Solapkin Corporate. Yeah. Why do black professionals also feel completely voiceless where these discussions are concerned? Yeah. Speaking up on transformation, inclusion, diversity, and meaningful diversity within the workspace. Why do black, black South Africans or black professionals within corporate feel voiceless as well? Mm. Trouble start. Mm. Ah. Yeah, what else? Yeah, Career suicide. Why do you always bring up the race card? Like, we're trying to have a nice family dinner here. <laughs> like, we're all just trying to have a nice lunch, and now here's little Julius. Hey, what about transformation? Ah, okay, just... <laughs> no. We're all just trying to have a good time. <laughs> yeah? We laugh about these things, but these things are real. You've got black South Africans sitting within South African corporate, and they're like, you know, I don't want to be that person, mm. that label of that guy, that troublemaker, that shift stirrer. Yeah, you know what I mean. All right. And so black South Africans as well, with this discussion is concerned, they're like, you know what, not worth my career. And sometimes you speak and nothing gets done anyway, so for my own health, I'm not going to engage with this. Okay? Colored and Indian South Africans, why do you feel voiceless? Where this exact same discussion is also concerned. Hmm. <laughs> So now you're trying to be in solidarity, but now I realize now you're not, not ducky enough. You were not white enough there. So like colored white South Africans also within that space were like, you know what? When were our voices ever of value anyway? Now you want us to lean into this discussion? Actually, let the duckies and whiteies have the zebra conversation and we'll figure out where the chips may fall. Okay? That experience of not being seen, that experience of not being heard, that experience of being forgotten, but the bottom line is this, that we each need to appreciate is that all of us are feeling voiceless where this is concerned. Don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that we're not talking about it. Mm -hmm. We talk about it, okay? And the reason why I know that we talk about it is that if I come to any of your corporates and I come to your canteen, it feels like I've just walked into 1980s South Africa. There's the black table, there's the white table. We see the group areas act playing out, <laughs> even with 20-somethings, all right? We're talking about it, but we talk about it in those spaces where we feel safe with people that get us. But in these broader forums, voicelessness is a great equalizer, that we all feel the voicelessness for different reasons and from different perspectives, but we all feel that sense of voicelessness. Mm -hmm. And what are we going to do about it? I think that's the question. Like, are we, do we care about it? I mean, is this an issue that everyone's feeling voices but having their own conversations? Because the last layer is this idea of a new protest, right? Because how you see me, what my body represents, is totally going to affect how you hear me. So you're not going to hear Roy asking a question. You're going to hear a white man asking a question. And because I can't, con can't control those variables and it's too risky, I'm going to protest. And what my protest is going to be is I'm going to surround myself by people who are safe, who look, think, and feel like me, where I can have a voice, where I'm secure. And that's just not only white people. I'm talking about everyone. We're all doing it. We're all creating our little enclaves, our little lagers, our little safe spaces, our little echo chambers, right? Because the variables are too many and we're just too scared. Now, here's the thing. We're all protesting. We know this for a fact. 
And now we have to ask, is this a problem? And if so, what are we going to do about it? Because you know what this new protest, this protectionist mentality is doing? It is affecting how it is that we mentor, sponsor, develop, grow talent, grow business, how people engage, all of these things. And if these things are important to you, then we need to work through some of these challenges. So again, inclusion is not this nice fluffy thing at the end of the board meeting, how our numbers. This is everything that your organization is trying to unlock. But first, we have to welcome these things in. Who here is from Discovery? Right, we love to use you as an example. You can build the biggest building in Southern Africa. You can put every square inch of that facade, a mirror that reflects the outside. But the anger and fear that is a South African story will still find its way into your organization. No matter how much you try and reflect and reflect and reflect and reflect and reflect, it's there, right? And this anger and fear that is the South African story, black, white, in it doesn't even matter. That's, that's the feeling. It's coming in and it's affecting how it is we're building relationships, how we're sharing information, how we're creating trust, how we're managing, how we're leading. So when we can start understanding that all the anger and fear is then trickling into this new protest and it's affecting business as usual, this doesn't become the last 10 minutes of the board meeting. This is how we start and how we end because this is the unlock for your organization strategy. Yes. We just have to, I don't know, make sure that we can have this in a way that isn't so threatening. Yes. Because mm -hmm. we're all feeling the same things. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes. So my wife always brings that thing. Uh huh. I was talking to the public in the house and all of this stuff. Like, you should get this to go out and everything. But I guess, so when you say this is not like, why is this to go out and everything? You know, so you can go out and buy a house and everything. Must be much more progressive here. They're trying to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Yes. Yes. But that's the thing that's important, though, because if we do not have a solid foundation from which to build, all these things that we're seeing as these things that are visionary and where does it want to take to, uh, the organization to, they actually fall apart. It's much like, imagine the HR function. Okay? So we are having an entire strategy, two-day session, we're going to be speaking about the strategy. Yet back at the ranch, it's now a month and a half late and none of you guys have received your pay. Slip, your pay. It hasn't come to your bank account. I don't care what the heck you're going to tell me about strategy. Yeah, we'll talk about strategy. I'll pay your brother first. Once you pay your brother, we'll talk about strategy. <laughs> right? When we miss the basics, when we miss the things that we deem to be the little things, they actually sabotage the big things that we're trying to drive for. But what you're talking about is going to come into the next, let's go to personification. Yes. Because this is actually what you've spoken about. The, the feeling of not being able to lean in is exactly the point of inclusion. And then we'll come to you after we've done this. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So we'd like for you to take out your cell phones, please. So if you've got like a smartphone device that can connect to the internet, please whip that out. And we want you to please go to menti.com. 
Go to your browser, get onto menti.com. M-E-N-T-I.com. And once you're on menti.com, please enter this code that you're seeing here at the top, 990484. 990484. So log on to menti, put in that code, and then just stay there and look back up, uh, up at us so that we can give you some more instructions. Yeah. So once you're on Menti, don't go forward. You need to be briefed. <laughs> okay. Cool. People in it. No issues. All aligned. Fantastic. Now, we'd love for you to reflect on your organization, yes? So the organization that you come from wants you to just hold in your mind's eye the experiences that you have in your organization. We now just want you to reflect, or rather, imagine, that if you were to take your organization and put that organization into human form, what would that person look like? So if your company was to be put into a person, and that person walks through the door, and stands here in front of us, what would that person look like? All right. Now, we want you to reflect not on who you want your organization to be, but who your organization is. We want you to reflect on not what does your leadership team look like or what do our demographics look like. No, what does the space feel like? When I come through the doors of the space, what's the feeling that I get? Whenever we're engaging in projects and meetings and ways of working, how do I experience this place? So it's not about what do the people look like, but what does the space feel like? I want you to reflect not on the lies that your website tells us you are. Ah, uh -uh. Who are you behind the website and at the core? So this requires a little bit of honesty, but you don't need to think about it too much just to do things that are instinctive if we were to put that person, rather your organization, into human form. All right? So you will reflect on what race would this person be, what gender would they be, what would be their sexual orientation, would they be able-bodied or disabled, what religion would they feel like they practiced or were raised under, what language does this person speak and what income brackets are they from. All right? So we'll walk this step by step together. Okay? So when you go on Manti there, we'd love for you to please put that in. So if your organization was to be put in human form, what race would this person be? If you're on uh, one that doesn't say race or ethnicity, just say go to slides. Yeah. You click go to slides and you'll go straight back to this one. So if your company was a person, what race would this person be? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Ooh. What gender would this organization be? What would their sexual orientation be? Would this person be lesbian, straight, gay, bisexual, transgender, asexual? What would their sexual orientation be? Thank you for that. Physically, would they be able-bodied or disabled? And don't throw shade, not the mental stuff, physically. <laughs> Maybe able-bodied or disabled. 
What language would this person speak? English, Afrikaans, so it is Khosa, Hindi. Yeah. What religion would they feel like they've been culturally raised in or they practice? What income bracket would they belong to? Lower income, middle income, upper, middle or upper? Yep. Right. We're done with that. Interesting, right? That or from completely different organizations, we kind of all find the same archetype, persona, personification, right? And I wish we could say that you guys were unique. You're not. Literally every single group that we've had, not only today, but since we started doing work as Cohesion Collective, has described this person when we've asked to personify their organization. A white male who's straight, able-bodied, Christian-ish, so kind of grew up in a Christian home, doesn't go to church anymore, language, English, Afrikaans speaking, upper income person. Ten times out of ten. This is the starting point of the discussion around inclusion. So there's two things that we need to learn, and they're two very important things, so everyone listen really carefully to me. Here's the first thing that we need to say. Listen carefully. This person here is not a bad person. This person is not a bad person. When we do this with senior leadership, senior leadership who say, is it who we are now or who we want to be? Because even these individuals have internalized their own badness, yeah. their own redundancy, their own you're not welcome within this organization. There is a lot of media and social media and a narrative that's saying whiteness is bad, masculinity is bad, straightness is bad. No, it's not. But there is a responsibility of this individual, absolutely. There is a responsibility of whiteness, masculinity, and heterosexuality. 100% badness? No. When we're thinking about this conversation around inclusion, how do we, instead of people checking out and saying, oh, well, now we must replace with a black gay woman and then we've transformed. I'm redundant. I'm not welcome. In the, no one wants me. This, no, no, that's not going to work. Lean in. You're not a bad person. But there's a responsibility in how we're going to work in this, how we're going to co-learn, how we're going to co-share. Yeah. Leadership can be so cute sometimes. So whenever we give like exos this exercise, they'll be like mixed race, non-gender conforming, asexual. Like, guys, guys, stop your lies. <laughs> what does your organization feel like? Someone Always once said. <laughs> someone once said they have one leg, but they don't have the other leg. Like they're just trying to make this Frankenstein person, and we're just like. No. Calm down, right? Because again, it's that. It's this internalizing that this is bad. Yeah. And it's not the case, right? Second thing. 
this is your organization, we're going to take it as the generic organization in this room. If this is the organization, right? We need you to start seeing your organizations as houses. This is the fundamental work that Dom and I do. Seeing organizations as homes. A space that you spend more time in than your actual homes. With roles, responsibility, hierarchies, all of these things, relationships. Your organizations are actually homes, right? Now, what we'd like for you to do is if this is the person, the personification of your organization, I need you to see your office as this person's home. Now for me, Roy, in this body, this is my home. This is literally my home. So I'm going to come into your organization. And this Mr. XYZ is going to say, Roy, make yourself at home. And you know what? I know exactly what that means. I know the rules. I know the rules so well and so nuanced that I know to break the rules just enough to be seen as a pioneer rather than a troublemaker. I know how to communicate. I know how to navigate. I know how to build relationships. I know everything about this home because it is literally my home right here in Morningside. I get into my car and I walk from my home into your home and there's no difference at all. Now, Dominic did not grow up in a home like this. So Dom will come into your organizations and it will equally say, make yourself at home, Dom. Why is that a bad person? Right? Dom will say, thank you so much. I believe you mean that. But please understand, this isn't my home. And I don't know the rules. And I don't understand the space. And I don't know how to build relationships necessarily. And I don't X, Y, Z, right? So Dom is going to have to be learning the rules and delivering at the same time. Me, I'm just delivering, hey? I don't have to learn the rules. I'm even rewriting some of them. Dom, in learning the rules, is probably going to make a few mistakes. And when Dom makes a mistake, those are going to stick with him for quite a while. Hey? Remember, I don't have to make mistakes about the rules because I know them. That inequality of experience of how we would come into an organization fundamentally changes our experience within that organization. Fundamentally changes our experience within the organization. Now, here's the thing. We would go around this room and we'd say, what is inclusion? And every single person here would say, inclusion is this, to be valued, to be heard, to belong, to be seen, to be all of these things. And all of these things are correct, but it's because all of these things are correct that it makes this actually quite complicated. So we're going to give you a gift today. We're going to cut through all the noise, remove all the fog and position um, inclusion as we understand it. Are you ready? All inclusion really is, at its core, is comfort. Is comfort. How comfortable are you as you, not a version of you, to show up in your house, in this house every single day? How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you? How comfortable are you? What we know for a fact is the further your identity is from the personification of the house or the owner of the house, the less comfortable you're automatically going to be. What we know for a fact is the closer your identity is to the personification of the organization, the more comfortable you're going to be automatically. Automatically. And here's the thing, right? We're not advocating that everyone must now be comfortable in your organization. No, work is uncomfortable. Right? But when we have this inequality of comfort, of experience, it creates a huge amount of tension, a huge amount of frustration within the space. Now, did any of you guys think about what shoes you were going to wear this morning? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> no. <laughs> Before he carries on, so we were like uh, running a session and it was like 95% men and then he asked this question <laughs> and we were just looking at him. 
<laughs> Even though I'm convinced 90% of them were thinking that they just didn't want to like, see him anyway. Men are a different story. Uh, but who has since thought about their shoes today, since, after, since putting them on this morning? Has everyone thought about it? Why? Why? Because they are uncomfortable. Many times leaders are like, oh, this comfort thing. Now we don't get this comfort thing. And we say it's because you are so comfortable. No one thinks about the shoes that they're wearing when they're comfortable. You only know you're wearing shoes when they are uncomfortable, where every step in that organization is considered and painful. So what we're saying here today, if your shoes are comfortable and you're so comfortable in this organization, that's not to shame you and say, shame on you for being comfortable in this organization. You're bad for feeling comfortable. No. We're saying, how amazing to be comfortable in your organization. Yeah. Now, let's create more comfort. Because not everyone is having the same experience as you. And you know what? That's okay. But what are we going to do about it? The time for shaming things that we have is just not going to work. But how do we actually start leaning and saying we need to create more comfort? And remember, it's not about external comforts. It's not about bean bags and meal vouchers and how train cards. It's about an internal comfort. How does the space make me feel internally? How does my manager bring out and build the comfort within me? How as a leader am I creating greater comfort for the people around me? How does this organizational culture enforce and support greater comfort, right? This is the question that we need to be solving for because the new currency of talent is comfort. And I'm not talking about millennials, I'm talking about all of us. You know why? Yes. Because we're all looking for comfort. Every single one of us. All of us are. And we should be working hard together to create it uniformly within the space. Yes. All right. And the reason why we see inclusion as, as comfort is just for the following reasons. The more comfortable a person is to really show up as authentically as themselves within an organization, the greater their breadth to explore and to excel. The more comfortable one is, the safer they feel to speak up. The more comfortable a person is, the more engaged they are. The more comfortable a person is, the greater their courage to try something and to fail. If you're in a house that is not your home, right? imagine this. Right? We're in this party, but this is not my house. I'm coming in as a guest. What's the last thing I want to do in that party? Now I've got a plate and this class has dropped and everybody's looking at me. Ah, you just want to... And then as organizations, we say that innovation is the thing that drives us. And we want to be an innovative company that's going to take us to the future. Meanwhile, none of our people feel comfortable to actually try anything and fail. Because to fail in your organization means that it's a career-limiting move. And there you are, be innovative. And people are like, no, but tell me what you want me to do, the way you want me to do it, and I'll do it for you. I'm not going to try anything. Right? And then we're all wondering, why is innovation not coming through? The more comfortable a person is, the greater the, greater the willingness to, to ask for help and to ask for more. And the more comfortable a person is, the better one learns. Mm. Now, if you reflect on any of your leadership strategies, talent development strategies, or even the organizational culture that you're saying you're wanting to create in your space, you're trying to achieve all of these things and you're measuring them. Whenever we're uh, engaging with any of the leadership team, they're telling us that talent is their greatest assets. However, whenever we're speaking strategy, whenever we're talking leadership, whenever we're talking talent development, somehow we think that inclusion is separate from these things. Yeah. Inclusion is part of it. You're doing it right now, whether you're aware of it or not. Mm. You're either doing it well or doing it badly, but either way you're doing it. Mm. What are some of the thoughts that you have? Yeah. Thoughts, questions, reflections, concerns. Yes, ma'am. Yes. 
Ja. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As open. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree. So here's the thing one of the people that we as South Africans celebrate is Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah is also celebrated by his virtue of being multicultural, multilingual, and being able to engage in different contexts and platforms. Trevor Noah goes on to the Oscars, cracks a joke in his Tosa, those that understand Tosa, they're cracking up. And it was a proud moment, but also a very sad moment for me, because I realized from that moment, probably more than 95% of, of white South Africans were just as clueless as the Americans. And yet we say, no, my family's been here 200 years, 300 years, just as clueless as the Americans. Sure. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's yes. And it's a, it's a really great insight, and I think it's it's it, it's a this requires a much longer conversation. But yeah, as white South Africans, because anyone who wasn't us was never seen as value or valuable. Oh no, valuable. Yes, but not our value. Like no, you don't have to worry about that. We'll learn about the Second World War, but we don't have to learn about African civilization. That's why decolonized education is so critically important, because it's saying, hey, there's actually a lot that happened on this continent before X, Y, Z came here that we need to be learning about, right? But when we're not going to see it as value, we're not going to have the conversation, which is exactly what why inclusion is always the last ten minutes, because we don't see it as valuable. So the work here today is to how do we position a way where we know it's valuable, but we actually don't feel like, we feel like we can access the value because all these scary things about this conversation can fall away. Look, yes. we all survived today and we're all walking out alive. Irritated, sure. Inspired, maybe. But we're all going to walk out here alive. And we want you to take this. We can do this. We can have these conversations. Yeah, it's a bit scary, but you know what? We're going to survive. But it's time we have these conversations. It's time we build the curiosity. It's time we build the relationships. Easy? No. Necessary? Absolutely. Okay? Yeah. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're 15 years behind us. Yeah. Yes. Whenever we talk to people who are in the space in Europe, they're like, guys, can we say black? It's like, ah, guys. We're like, that bus is gone. I'm, feel <laughs> I'm feeling really uncomfortable. <laughs> feeling really uncomfortable using the term black. And like, <laughs> no. what? Actually, oh God, okay. we take this for granted. We yeah, take this for granted. Totally. I mean, I, I don't even feel like that requires a comment. I think you've said something so, so important, right? So. This is what I think is an ideological clash that's currently happening in the conversation. But is it only for white men to go have an imbizo and talk about our stuff? Yes, we probably need to do that and come back with something. But there is also, we have to create this negotiation, right? So how do you lean in? But I think what you're saying is that 
women, particularly around Women's Month in August, are like, we're tired of having breakfast. I mean, I'll take the breakfast, but the issue is that the guys in my space aren't allowing me the opportunities. So take them on a breakfast and let's go talk about, right? So how do we start actually having a more complex conversation? So yes, women, go have the breakfast, talk about the experience, absolutely, how you guys can lean in, absolutely. Yes. But that's like another half. The other half has to be like, hey guys, how are we empowering? How are we creating space for women to lean in? Because all of a sudden, everyone's like, okay, lean in. Women, it's like, lean into what? This glass ceiling. How much I, like, what do you want me to do? So how do we create the space for lean in? So it has to happen on both sides. You laugh, but it's true. And all the emotions <laughs> that you feel, right, to being tired, exhausted, the emotions on the other side as well, yeah. right, that we need to ventilate as well. Anger, fear, do I have an opportunity? I'm trying yes. to drive transformation, am I driving myself? We have to all come together and have this conversation. It's not one way or the other. It's both. It's both. Ladies and gents, thank you very much for your time. For those of you that still have questions, we'll be here in order to engage with you and answer them. But just in closing, we just really want to say that we appreciate that you've made the time to be here. Hopefully, there's something of value that you've been able to take out. The one thing that we would have fundamentally failed at is if you walk out of this room and you are indifferent. So that's the one thing that we know for sure. You'll feel something towards us. If you want to flex at me afterwards, fine. As long as you feel something, then we've achieved our objective. But don't okay. do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Okay, okay? All right, all right. Thank you, ladies and gents.